what a crowd. Hi, hi everybody, I'm Judy. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. It's so, so nice to see so many faces out there of people that I've known and known for a long time in the program. And, uh, whew, it's a real pleasure to be here. I'd like to start out by um, saying that um, nothing gives me more pleasure than to be an Al-Anon having the attention of a room full of alcoholics. Uh, because as we all know, it's all about me. Uh, and that is the subject of my talk tonight, by the way. But I would like to start out first by um, by thanking the committee um, for the privilege of being of service. Uh, you know, it's a miracle to me uh, how I've been, I have 14 years in the program, and it's just a miracle to me how year after year after year uh, people do service. And uh, people do conferences, and they, and they do service for conferences even when they don't feel like doing service for conferences. And uh, it's just, um, it's a miracle of the program that we can have a River City Roundup and that, um, that their service gives me the opportunity to be of service and gives you the opportunity to be of service by showing up. So thank you all. Um, and I'd also like to say, uh, talk more that way. Okay. How's that? Whew. Um, I'd also like to offer um, some gratitude to my sponsor, who um, doesn't happen to be here tonight, but who is here in spirit. I always like to mention Sue because um, I never call her. And, um, <laughs> but, um, but, I, but I want her to know that um, even though I don't call her, I always know that she's my sponsor. And when I get into trouble, I always think about her. And, <laughs> and I always imagine what she's going to say to me. So, so she's present in spirit. Um, tonight, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about my, I'm going to tell you sort of my, uh, one of my uh, step six and seven stories. So that's kind of the frame for tonight. But, but I'll just... For those of you that don't know me and haven't heard my story 65 times, I'll just uh, tell it to you very briefly. Um, I, I wasn't raised in an alcoholic family. Uh, neither my mom or my dad uh, drank except moderately, socially, whatever. But there was alcoholism all around me. Uh, my uncle uh, died of alcoholism. Uh, his wife, my aunt, was just a black belt codependent. Um, and she uh, she died never getting into Al-Anon recovery, which is uh, which is sad actually. And her son um, has uh, I think 33 years in the program, and uh, he's in my life. He's about 10, 11, 12 years older than I am, but he was my favorite cousin for some reason growing up. Go figure. And um, uh, and it's a thrill for me to have him back uh, in my life. And um, there were a lot of, uh, where I grew up, there were just a lot of women alcoholics. A lot of mothers of my friends were alcoholics and and uh, didn't seem to know, there just didn't seem to be much of anything for them to do with their time but sort of drink. And um, uh, so I had a lot of it, but, but I had no idea that, um, you know, I needed a program. And I, uh, I married an adult child of an alcoholic, uh, and we were we were very happily married for about 19 years. And then um, I came out of denial, and fell in love with a woman, 
and left him <laughs> and moved from New Hampshire to California. Um, and that's how I got in the program. So uh, if it wasn't for the alcoholics in my life today, I would I would never have found Al-Anon. And, um, you know, I had this huge change in my life. You know, I lived this very straight life in New Hampshire, and we lived in the country, and we had a dog and two kids and a cat. And, you know, we are very active in the Quaker community, so we were just surrounded by this loving circle of Quakers. And, um, you know, and then I just came home one day and told my husband that I'd fall in love with this woman and and uh, it was it was kind of a shocker <laughs> for everybody and, and um, especially for my Quaker community that was kind of a shock for them and um, so I came out here and you know everything was different like overnight you know I went from from living in this Quaker community and having all these families and kids to suddenly being in a community with very few children and, you know, all these gay people and all these gay drunks. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and we drove across country in the middle of a snowstorm and the first, you know, we got in on Thursday night and Pat took me to Robbie Gelato's for espresso, you know, on Thursday night. For those of you who remember, that was on uh, J Street. And then on Friday night, we went to Friday night meetings. So that was my first exposure to AA was a Friday night North Hall meeting. And, uh, boy, you know, and that was those were smoking meetings then in those days, you know. And, and I just remember walking in and going, <laughs> like that, you know. And after a while, I leaned over to Pat and I said, you know, there's this table over there. They're just, like, talking all the time. They're not even listening, you know. <laughs> what is going on here? And people are getting up and walking in and out and wandering around and not paying attention. And, you know, how come they're not taking notes? And... <laughs> And I really didn't get it. So, uh, so after about three months, uh, a good friend uh, of of hers in the program, Dean, uh, we were we were going out for coffee, and Dean said to me, said, "Well, Judy, you know, have you been to an Al-Anon meeting yet?" And I said, "Well, no. Why should I? You know?" And he said, "Well, you're living with an alcoholic, you know." And I said, "Well, she's recovered." You know, and Dean went into this like hysterical laughter. He just threw back his head and he laughed and laughed and laughed. And I got in the car that night and I was just furious that Dean should suggest that I should go to an ally. I mean, just because I happened to be living with an alcoholic in recovery. And um, I fussed at Pat in the car all the way home. You know, just who does he think he is? Blah, 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 blah. And um, I got home and I got in bed and, you know, it was really quiet. We were just lying down. The lights were turned out. And all of a sudden, this huge sob just escaped, you know, out of my mouth. And I started crying. And she looked at me and said, well, what's wrong? And I said, I just realized that I chose you and you're an alcoholic. And it was that awareness that got me to an Al-Anon program. So I really thank uh, all the alcoholics in this room uh, for getting me to recovery, especially Pat and especially Dean. So, you know, it's just been one long, interesting trip since then. <laughs> uh, and, and it's been 14 years. So that, that's my story in brief. So what I'm going to talk about tonight are a few of my character defects. 
which I'm sure those of you that know me well, this will come as no surprise, that the people, the people who I work with know these character defects about me. And this is that I am basically a very self-seeking and self-centered person. Um, I used to think that Al-Anons, you know, were really giving types, you know. But as I have moved along in the program, I have uh, come to see myself much more clearly and to see this character defect in just vivid, glowing color. And I want to give you just a few examples of how this acts, because this is not like something, it's not like I do something self-centered really big once a month. You know, it's not like that. It's like I'm just basically self-centered every minute of every day. And um, so this is kind of how it works. I'll describe it. So the other day at the office, uh, one of my coworkers came in. Her name is Leticia, and she had just she'd taken this vacation to Italy, and she was wearing this beautiful sweater, and it was, you know, sort of brown, and she has brown hair. It looked gorgeous on her. And it was like leather patchwork, you know, across the front of it with the zipper. I mean, it was stunning. And um, and she sort of wore it around. And about noon, she just she just said, well, nobody said anything about how beautiful the sweater is. And I said, well, Leticia, I did notice it. I really noticed how beautiful it looked on you. And I was going to say something. But then I thought, well, why don't I have a sweater like that? <laughs> and... And she looked at me and she said, you know, that sounds just like something you would say. <laughs> so, so, in fact, she, on this trip to Italy, she, uh, her, she, her, one of her cousins or sisters or somebody was with her, or a friend or something, and this friend kept waiting around for uh, Leticia and other people to sort of help her with her bags. And after a while, she turned to this friend and she said, you know, you're going to have to carry your own bag or I'm going to start calling you Judy. <laughs> so, so she keeps me in line, you know, at work. Um, uh, but uh, I, I, so I'll give you an, a, a few other little examples like uh, in meetings. I don't know if this happens to you guys. If you have to, I have a job where I have to go to a lot of meetings and I get really impatient in meetings. As a matter of fact, I get so impatient in meetings that sometimes I like have to say prayers in the middle of the meeting so that I can, to myself, I mean I don't say them out loud, but I have to say them to myself because, you know, my basic attitude in a meeting is it's all about me and I wish that they would hurry up and get over with quicker, you know, or do it smarter or whatever, you know. It's I'm just basically impatient because I want things to move along at my speed because everyone knows that my speed, you know, is the only speed that really matters. <laughs> so, so uh, the uh, I'll give you a third example, which is which is about uh, me and books. So I like I have to like books, and um, I buy a lot of books and. I actually have more books than we have room. <laughs> so, so I have a tendency to buy a few books at a time and I leave them, you know, on a table. Because there's room on a table, you know. When there's no room in the bookcase, where are you going to put them? You're going to put them on the table, right? I mean, that makes sense. But this habit of leaving things around happens to really irritate my partner, Pat. And... Um, so we have this game that we play, which is called Books on the Table. <laughs> and, and, 
And the object of the game is to see how long I can leave the book on the table before she asks me to move it. And, um, and the other night, we were playing this game, the books on the table game. And, um, and so she was, we were, and we were being actually quite lighthearted about it, which is progress for us, you know, to have this game and to actually admit that it's a game and be lighthearted as opposed to get into a fight about it is recovery, you know, in our relationship. So um, she was asking me about how long the books would be on the table, and, and I told her that, that they would be moved the next night. But that until I could actually move them the next night, I would engage in an evasive behavior. Now, evasive behavior is when you take the books that are on the table and you put them in the chair, which is under the table. So you can't see the book. Now, I was promised from you that I actually admitted to her that this was evasive behavior. So then I said, but, you know, this is evasive behavior for now, but I'm going to move them tomorrow night, but I'm going to do it after I get on the treadmill. And, uh, and uh, it was like, you know, I know you're going to be embarrassed I'm going to say this, but she actually, she actually started crying because um, by admitting to her, my evasive behavior, and by exhibiting my self-centeredness, which is, you know, I, I know this is important to you, but actually I'm going to do the treadmill first, because that's more important to me, you know. It just brought up a lot of hopelessness that she happens to have around this behavior of mine. And I was just devastated, you know, that, that, that she felt that I had created this hopelessness in her. So then I had to go make an amend you know, about the game. So it just goes to show that even these little games that we play as alcoholics and Al-Anons, you know, they're games, but they're serious. And there are all these feelings underneath in our hearts um, that, that cause us to grow. So that was, uh, that was a really, and then, you know, I, I had to make an amend and I had to really look at this self-centeredness, you know, and, and how it's how deeply rooted it is in me and what and and how I, I can change it uh, and of course that gets me to um, to step six and seven because really it's not at all about me changing it is it really it's about the God of our understanding changing it so so how did this happen to me how did how, how have I made progress with this character defect? You know, I, I can't really remember. I sat down in preparation for this talk, and I, I couldn't really, really remember exactly how it happened. So I'll just try to give you a little bit of the sequence. Um, how am I doing? Oh, it's going very slowly. <laughs> slowly. Um, so, so the first thing about uh, a character defect is that if we're lucky enough to have friends or be in a relationship, uh, then we know that we're really lucky to have a partner that calls our character defects to our attention. And, uh, and Pat really is very good about this. <laughs> she is. 
and I've been through an evolution of response and reaction to her ability to help me grow spiritually. <laughs> and and, uh, and so in the first few years of my program, you know, when she would call my attention to my character defect, my immediate response was to say, this is not about my defect. This is about your defect. And I would, whenever I would find a defect, I would say, you know, it's really not about you finding fault with my defects. It's about you being too critical. And, um, and for years, really, I was obsessed in the fact that she had a character defect about being really critical and that it was more about her than it was about me. And, uh, and that actually that went on for a long time, my feeling, you know, the way I handled uh, these opportunities for growth. And, um, and uh, actually, I'm, if you asked her after the meeting, I'm sure she'd tell you that it's still going on. <laughs> but I, I'm making some progress. The, um, the second phase that I kind of go through around this is what I call the grudging acceptance phase, where uh, she brings this character defect to my attention, like around the books, you know, the book game, the book and the table game. And, um, and I will finally say, maybe the next day, maybe a half hour later, maybe two days later, you know, you were right, I'm sorry. It's, it, I don't know how it is for other Alanons, but you know, saying I'm sorry is like really, really, really hard. Uh, and saying, yeah, you were right, you know, is really hard. Um, so, so I, 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 that's the second phase. And then the third phase is kind of uh, where I say like, wow, there it is again. You know, there it is again, that self-centeredness, you know. Damn, it hit me again, <clears throat> you know. Oh, I get to see it again. And um, it, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to go through those phases, but it's, it, it really does help because what happens when I finally get to that place where I say, oh, there it is again, when she brings that character defect to my attention again, um, Time after time after time, it weighs on me. And finally, I got to this place where the weight of my own self-centeredness was just driving me crazy. Um, I, I've been in enough rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous where I know you, you talk about, you know, we talk about uh, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And um, that's kind of uh, where I finally got with a lot of this self-centeredness. It just began to feel like some sort of a jail that I couldn't get out of. I was just stuck in it um, all the time, like a trap. And and I don't actually remember, you know, I don't actually remember going uh, to God on my knees or bowing to God or anything and saying, you know, please take this from me. I don't really remember doing it, but I must have done something because some things have changed in my life. and. The only thing I can remember is in a, in a flash, in an unguarded moment, I must have said to God, you know, I can't take this anymore. Free me from the bondage of self. You know, I just, I have, I must have said something because, uh, you know, grace doesn't come into our lives unless we ask for it. You know, that's just 
the truth. And and um, grace has really flooded in uh, on me in this particular area of my life. And um, you know, it's, grace isn't a word that we talk about much, and, and it's sort of you know maybe it, people think it's a weird word because it you know is kind of religious or something. But for me, grace is the word that I use uh, for when God does something for me that I can't do for myself. That's grace. And um, and so grace is kind of flooded in in this area for me. And and uh, some things have really have really shifted in my life. And I want to share some of that with you. And of course, that means I have to talk about a few more games that Pat and I play. <laughs> so, so um, there's this, uh, in addition to the books on the table game, there's the going to the ATM game. <laughs> and uh, and this is because I'm chronically short of cash and I'm always waiting until the last minute uh, and having to go to the ATM. And I usually like to do this right when we're getting ready to leave to go someplace else. You know, So it's an errand that we have to add on the front end of wherever we're going. Because you know, I'm self-centered and you know, it's I've got to go to the ATM and we just have to somehow fit it in to your schedule, our schedule, whatever. So, um, and and uh, I know you're not going to be surprised to hear this, but she usually feels a little resentful about this <laughs> going to the ATM. And um, and it's not just about you know. I mean, I always want to go to my bank so I don't have to pay the extra buck fifty, right? And. Uh, and it's basically because I have this image of myself that, you know, I am not a person who wastes money at some other bank's ATM. You know, this is, this is the way it is. I mean, I'm a person who's frugal. I like to go to my bank on your time. <laughs> so I don't have to pay a buck fifty. But... You know, for a long time, I just really, really, my attitude towards this was, well, nobody wants to pay about 50. This is very reasonable, Pat. You know, this is, this is not your time. This is our time. You know, we should be going to the ATM. So, um, we were having the ATM game recently. Must have been, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago. And, and in the middle of the ATM conversation, I had a new thought. Now, I know you all have had this experience where, you know, you're on the treadmill and then for some reason, God sends you a new thought. You know, it's not like you had the thought. God just sends you the thought. So I had a new thought and this was the thought I had. What is so important about this image of me that I have? that I'm not the kind of person that pays an extra buck fifty at somebody else's bank. What's so important about this image of me? You know, that was a new thought, like, what is so important about you? You know, that's a really shocking thought for me because, you know, prior to that time, just about everything that I thought about myself was, like, vitally important. <laughs> You know, and then I had another thought, which was really strange. I'm not always a very depressed person. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, contemplating my own death. But the thought, this part of this new train of thought was, well, you're like, you could be dead tomorrow, you know. And no one 
would ever know or care about this image of you that you're a person that doesn't like to spend a buck fifty at somebody else's day. In fact, the only person who cares about that image is you, and you would be dead. <laughs> so that really put the whole thing about this image of who I am and it being so important, you know, in the kind of a perspective for me. And I thought, well, why should I hold on to this? I mean, I literally had that thought, you know. So it went kind of like, well, gee, this is just an image I have of myself, and I could be dead tomorrow, and no one would care anyway about this image. Anyway, they might care about me, but certainly not about this image. So why would I hold on to it? So at that moment in time, I said, sure, you know, we'll go to your ATM. And that was that. It was like really easy. You know, sure, we'll go to your ATM. Or I might have said, I might have said, well, sure, we don't have to go to my ATM, you know. But whatever it was, I just gave it up. I just gave it up. And that is a miracle. That's really a miracle to just give that up. To have that new thought. What a what a blessing to have a new thought. So really. I mean, aren't you sick of your old thoughts? Aren't you? <laughs> they just go on and on and you never think you're gonna get out of them. <laughs> so here's here's another example. This is this is the treadmill story. This is a recent story. This is very funny. I decided I decided that I had to have a treadmill. And um, like most good Al-Anons, I obsessed on it for quite some time and, you know, read about it in the consumer's reports and talked to my sister-in-law about the kind that she had and what her personal trainer recommended. And and then I had I had uh, a little windfall. I had a little extra job, so I had this money, and it was burning a hole in my pocket. So I came straight home from this extra job, and I went straight to Sears. And... The treadmill that I wanted was in closeout, you know. So I was so excited, man. I was, so it was money off, you know. I was so excited about this treadmill. I just, you know, slapped down the credit card and said, "Great, you know, I'll take it." And I rushed down to Will Call. I have a Subaru. Let me just say that. And I was by myself, you know. I was, Pat wasn't with me, so that will tell you something right away. And and. So I, you know, I'm eagerly standing at will call, and this is this is about this story is about my image of myself. By the way, I should just to preface this: my image of myself as an enthusiastic starter of things. You know, I am, I am just, I'm a very enthusiastic. I love to start things, and I'm really expecting that you will help me finish them. <laughs> I'm sure that. There are a few alcoholics in the room who know a few Al-Anons like this. And I consider it, you know, I consider it sort of your dues for living with someone as enthusiastic as I am. But you kind of have to help me, you know, follow up on things. So this really has been my attitude for many, many years. So I... So I rush to Will Call, and, you know, the doors open, you know, and the guy comes out with a dolly. God, this thing is humongous. It is like, it didn't look that big on the floor, you know? But they have it all wrapped up in this thing, and it's like six foot high. I don't know. It's, it's on a wooden pallet. And I look at this thing, and I say, oh, 
Uh, you know, and at that point, I thought to myself, I immediately thought, gee, I don't know if this is going to fit in the car, but I was too embarrassed to tell the guy to turn around and take it back into will call. You know, it was embarrassing me. So I said, well, I don't know, really. It might not fit in my Subaru. He said, well, let's try. So by golly, you know, we, we pushed the seats forward, and they just jammed this thing in the Subaru. I couldn't quite get the back end down. But anyway, so I was, man, I was really excited. And by the way, this was the Reno conference weekend. Pat was up in Reno. So that should tell you something. So, so I'm driving home with a treadmill. I am, like, so excited. So I get to the house, you know, and I, it's after dark by that time. And I, I kind of look at the car, and I look at the treadmill. I look at the front door. And I thought, well, I'll just talk to Pat about this tomorrow. So I went to bed. And she gets home about midnight, and so I kind of roll over in the bed, and I say, you know, honey, I got a treadmill. And uh, that was that until the next morning. So uh, she was planning on spending most of the day relaxing that day. And, uh, and, but I needed her to, you know, deal with my treadmill. And, and she looks at me, and uh, she says, you know, Judy, you're going to have to deal with this treadmill. And, um, and you know, she was, this is, I had a new thought, you know. <laughs> and the new thought was, she's right. That was the new thought. She's absolutely right. I do have to deal with this treadmill. This is my treadmill. This was my deal. I was enthusiastic about it. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I don't think I quite thought this through. <laughs> so, so I went off. So I, so actually, you know, she said, she, she was a little bit of help. She said, you know, you might be able to rent a dolly somewhere. So uh, actually we did, she did help me. We did, I, I did go to rent the dolly and she went with me actually to rent the dolly and we brought the dolly home and then I went off and found a neighbor, Caddy Cornered, across the street who could help us, a guy, because we just couldn't, I and mean, we're too strong women, but we could not get this treadmill out of the car. <laughs> so, to make a very long story even longer, um, <laughs> our, our wonderful neighbor did unload the treadmill and did actually help set it up because it had never occurred to me that you actually have to put it together. <laughs> So I've been shredding the mill. It's been great. Um, but uh, but the, the new thought that I had was that I started this thing and I had to finish it, and I did take the dolly back to the rental place, you know, myself, and I did get bought an apple pie to give to my neighbor to thank him for helping. And, um, and that's actually new thinking. That's, that's grace in my life having having new thoughts um, you know there's this um oh, it's going along <laughs> there's this um this piece of Al-Anon literature that I hate <laughs> which is called just for today how many <laughs> how many Al-Anons know this literature I just hate it. The first time I heard it, I just practically went, <laughs> you know, and um, 
it, it, it talks about, you know, dressing up nice and being nice, and it has all these stuff in it. But the line in it that I really hate is, it goes something like this, is just for today. I will do something nice for somebody and not get caught. And this was, this was really a new thought for me and a very unpleasant thought for me. Because, you know, um, my idea about doing something nice for people is kind of like banking. You know, you, you, you do something nice and it's a credit that goes in the account, right? And you, so you build up your, your account of credits and this is very useful because you use your credits, you know, when you want a favor, you know, from your partner. You say, well, I did this for you, so you should do this for me. So that's one good use for credit. Or you use credits, uh, you know, to offset debits. So like, <laughs> So like when you screw up, you know, you, you, you can like pull out the credit and say, well, remember when I, honey, when I did this for you? And, you know, so the, I, so for a long time in my life, you know, uh, doing something nice for somebody is very important to be noticed, you know, both by them and by me. It had to be acknowledged because it didn't go in the bank book if it wasn't noticed. So, uh, I really, so, I don't know what happened. I swear this is this is grace. It's God working in my life. The other day, for no reason whatsoever, this was like about two months ago or so. This has all happened recently. I had another new thought, and this new thought was, well, why don't you just try spoiling Pat every now and then? You know, why don't you try spoiling her? This was a very confusing thought for me. <laughs> really, I mean. Because, because for many years the I, you know, there was just no line between codependency and spoiling. You know, there just wasn't a line. So, so I made this decision that I was going to try this. I was actually going to practice it. I was going to practice spoiling her, and and not telling her that that's what I was doing. And that was just very new thought, new thought for me. So. You know, I, now I'm telling her, but, you know, hopefully it won't go in the bank. Um, um, so, so here are some of the things that I've been doing. You know, I've been getting up first in the morning, and I've been making her coffee and bringing her coffee in bed. And, um, and, and also while I'm waiting for the coffee to get done, I've actually tried you know, changing the dog's water and putting food in the dog's bowl, which is something that she used to do all the time, you know. And um, and then I've been trying, just sort of giving her spontaneous massages, you know, like neck massages or hand massages sometimes when I'm sitting next to her. And, um, and when I'm giving her a massage, I really try and focus on the fact that I'm doing it the way I think she might like it, as opposed to the way that I would like to give her a massage. <laughs> You know, like, it should be really hard right here, you know? I know you'll feel better if I press really hard right here. Um, so, and the other day I actually offered to go home, you know, I actually offered to go to the grocery store on my way home without her asking. So this is, these are like new thoughts for me. Um, and, and actually, you know, it hasn't been that bad. It's actually been pretty 
pretty much fun. I really enjoyed it. It's been kind of like this little secret that I've had with myself about how to spoil her without letting her know. And you know, this I never would have done this without without the program and without Grace. Never. Never would have happened because I would never have left my own device. I would not have those thoughts. Um, and it is very confusing, you know, for Al-Anon. And, and I did try to, for an Al-Anon, I did try to contemplate what's the difference between between being nice and thoughtful um, to someone and uh, doing things for them the way I used to do it, you know, before I was in recovery. What's the difference? Because sometimes it can feel really confusing. And um, and this is what I want to leave you with. Um, I think the difference is in intent. You know, what's my intention in what I'm doing? You know, am I is am I doing this thing? Uh, being self-centered, it, you know, is it about my feelings? Is it about what I think is right? Is it about my way? You know, back to the massage, you know, is it about I'm giving this massage the way I want to give the massage, you know? Not the way, the way I know the right way to give a massage, so I'm going to give it to you the right way, you know, as opposed to um, can I intuitively figure out what it is that you want and need and can I offer that to you, you know? Um, it's about it's about me seeing her and thinking about her, not about me seeing me and thinking about me. Um, it's all about intention, and um, and and all this time, you know, all this time I thought it was about her. I thought it was about. Um, Essentially, all this time I thought it was about me defending myself against her. Uh, but it isn't, you know. It's never been about her. It's always and only been about me and about the prison of my own self-centeredness. Uh, today, with the grace of the God of my understanding, I have, I do have these moments. I. I know it's because in the program of Al-Anon, I have become safe and I have become secure with who I am, uh, self-centeredness and all, you know, I have become safe and I have become secure with me and because of that, you know, I have now today and because of God's grace, I have now today the ability to see her to truly see her and to see what I can do for her out of love, not out of bouncing, you know, getting more credits in the bank. You know, I, I still, I still buy uh, too many books. <laughs> I don't think that's going to change, and um, and I I still leave them lying around. You know, I don't think that's going to change either. But just for today, just for today, I can put them away before she asks me to. Um, and that is a new freedom. That is being freed from the prison of self-centeredness. And that is the promise of this program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. And that's what keeps me coming back and so grateful to be of service. Thank you.